0: hello and welcome to found i'm your host daryl etherington and i'm here with the moby dick to my captain ahab
1: jordan crook love it
0: that's right Our i am large it's not a pirate thing it's not really pirates no
1: it's not pirates i'm unattainable really
0: i'm mythical legendary
1: and you're angry about it
0: i am and i'm trying to take you down a peg (laughs) (laughs) perpetually as you know, but maybe you don't know, because this could be your first time listening to Found, which is TechCrunch's premier podcast about founders. We cover the stories behind the startups. Today, we're talking to Anthony Damare from Bedrock, which has developed underwater autonomous vehicles, which survey and map the seafloor in a way that beats traditional methods. It's not like people aren't doing this now, but this way is way better and cheaper and can reach places maybe other methods can't reach the main focus right now their main client are people building offshore wind farms and there's a lot of demand for that but who knows what the future could hold there's a whole range of different applications for this technology and we talked to anthony about quite a few of them including my favorite underwater cities.
1: Oh. Reserve your spot now. Yes.
0: But let's let Anthony explain what it is that Bedrock does and what kind of potential it has for the future. Hey, Anthony, how's it going?
2: It's going fantastic. It's a, it's a great Tuesday here in New York.
0: That's right. That's right. You've revealed your location
1: now you're gonna force daryl
0: what time when we're recording it that's usually a fiction they don't know they don't know what's being recorded the
1: problem is that you're gonna inspire daryl to say that he's in canada because he has to hit it at least once yet
2: on this podcast per episode I was going to say I have listened to a podcast, and I did hear that you were in Canada, so yep. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Every single one.
0: All of them. I usually try to get it out early, so people know. but uh, He's got
1: another surprise reveal later I'm sure we'll get to somehow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that one comes up last. I, I don't know that it will come during our conversation, because it's unrelated, but...
1: You find a way. You find a
0: way. There's another like teaser? Too. Yeah, that's a teaser. <laughs> okay. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony, you are the founder of a company that... Oh, this is one of those things where I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm very excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to everyone. Let's be clear. I'm always excited to talk to people. But, Anthony, your company is so interesting.
1: Uh, so interesting. Shit on all the other founders. Thanks.
0: No, listen, listen. Thanks. Man. They're all interesting in their own way. I just find this particular one personally very interesting. It appeals
1: to your interests.
0: Yes. Well, yes. What is, so, Anthony, can you tell us what is Bedrock Ocean Exploration? Anthony's it's like, what the, the hell day. are
1: your interests? <laughs> I was
2: like, One, I was like, these are interview questions of like, what jazzes you up about the ocean, right? But yeah, sure. Happy to give you an overview. Bedrock is primarily trying to build needed technology to scalably map, image, and classify the seafloor at scale. We looked at, basically, back in 2019, my co-founder And I took a look at the world. And at that point, I think we had like 18% mapped of the ocean, Mm. right? And now then you got to define what the word mapped means. And that means one data set bathymetry, which you can think of like topography at 100 meter resolution. So like, you're not seeing much, like if there's a large seamount, like cars, or, you know, you're going to think of it like a in a city, if it was a hundred meter resolution, like you would miss a ton, a lot. like buildings, like houses, yeah. like cars, like you wouldn't see any of that. So that was what the state of the world was like in 2019, at least outside of the military sector. So you got to think about like science, all the commercial activity, anything that was done in the government outside of sort of the silos of different military groups. And what that meant at the time was like there's this fundamental lack of understanding of, I would argue, one of the most critical resources that influences everything we do and all of living things and like how the world is like operating and is usually like a leading indicator to a ton of things and is where weather originates and all this stuff. And so at that time, like we looked at the state of the world where we're like, why the fuck hasn't anyone built the SpaceX version of the ocean, right? You think about large, prolific tech companies that have built fundamental infrastructure for space, and you could fill that void with a couple companies now. And you say that exact same thing for the ocean, and like you get crickets. People don't have that company, and that seems like a huge narrative violation. So we basically said, we got to figure this out. We didn't know at the time that we wanted to start a company and very much thought like the world probably needs this. This is like hypercritical. We are Mm -hmm. dumping cash into all these other places and no one has figured out the right mechanism to create a structure or something that people would broadly consider putting money towards to ultimately go solve the largest exploration problem left on the planet. And this required totally new solutions to be able to acquire data. And it required totally new software solutions to allow scalable processing, access, and just general management of like one of the largest, if not will be the largest geospatial data set that the planet has because the planet is two thirds ocean. And everything we do, you know, all of the comparable technologies that have erupted out of the autonomous vehicle industry don't immediately translate over to sonars and magnetometers and like things you would use to understand geology of the seafloor. So we thought, let's see if we can design the full ocean system. And that's how we actually got started back in 2019. It was more of an experiment around, like, can we design a system that theoretically could scale across 95% of the oceans, with the exceptions of some of the polar ice caps being Hmm. quite challenging to do um, for long periods of time under the ice. Don't be a quitter, Anthony. I
0: know, you better get those eventually.
2: Yeah, like,
1: uh, they seem like some uh, of the most important ones in my view.
2: the, a lot of scientists would argue that they are in fact one of the most important parts but I would argue quite in terms of like difficulty of places to go number one hardest is probably under the caps but hey not saying it's impossible
1: just get the investors to fund it man
2: yeah but yeah. It's, I mean it's
0: a stretch goal right you're like okay totally. we'll get there yeah or it's like totally. it's like Elden Ring for a, a contemporary oh my God. people people. <laughs>
1: get out of here wait 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 hold on i'm gonna jump in real quick because yeah, so one important thing if you sense my tone with anthony it's because we've known each other for many years now they're
0: colloquial i would say jordan
1: yeah we've known each other for a yeah. long time i knew him as a friend before i knew he even was a founder in fact he saved in my phone as anthony karaoke just to give you an idea of our <laughs> yep. relationship Secondly, Anthony, you got to explain, like, give an example of why this is important, right? Right. Because it's like, okay, cool. That would be great to have that data. Like, yeah, we haven't explored it yet. Cool, cool. But like, how does someone make money off of it? Why does it matter, right? Who's going to pay you for this?
2: Yeah, so it was funny when we started, you know, I said we started with this idea that broadly we needed this. So at scale, when you think about the data needs, the opportunities are quite endless. You know, it's a critical data set for... You can imagine monitoring systems. You can imagine certain things like being able to make sure that we are doing the right things with the ocean. There are a lot of people that try and do and exploit the ocean right now. And how do we monitor that? Right. So at scale, that's one thing. But going way back down to where we are today, which is really just a data collection and data platform, right? which again, all we do is sell data. The people that buy this data right now, especially in the commercial industries our offshore wind companies. So one of the big problems right now is we have these like ultra ambitious goals to install offshore wind, particularly near metropolitan areas, because they need so much energy to be decarbonized off of coal or natural gas or whatever power plants we have. And it's really hard to build really large gigawatt scale power plants anywhere near these metropolitan areas. Except when you look at the ocean, there's like this huge resource where you can build literally gigawatts of power that take 30, 40, 50% of the sort of energy needs and turn them into renewable energy within a 10-year time frame. The interesting challenge that we've started to realize now is that the process at the current moment of getting critical geological data which you can think of this very similar to like real estate. So like you buy a plot of land, you do a bunch of surveys to check out what the land looks like. You make right. sure there's no radon there, you make sure there's no weird stuff or pipelines or strange things moving through your property. You got to do the exact same thing when you go do anything in the ocean. And so that requires what the world calls a geophysical survey. The current process takes 12 to 18 months from the moment someone in an offshore wind company says, I need this type of data in this area, to the moment when you have a process. Process, usable data set in hand. At the current moment, that's because we use large fleets of ships mm-hmm. with 30 to 50 people on board. All of the software runs on desktops because they're meant to run on the ship, not connected to the internet. So there's no idea or no concept of distributed cloud computing. The processes cannot be paralyzed because they ship hard drives between the surveyor to to the the environmental review firm, to a third-party processor, to a geophysical interpreter, to a archaeological review firm, to the ultimately Bureau of Office Energy Management, or BOM, within the United States government to check and make sure that they abided by the survey assessment plan that they had submitted and gotten permits for. And so like that whole process takes an immense amount of time. So you have to survey four to six times if things are going well before right. you can put up one of these farms.
0: God forbid you're like, oh well we didn't love this
2: data set that we captured, you so we gotta go yeah. do it
0: again or whatever. Like
2: So one of the big challenges is like when you're on the surface, you're subject to weather. Yeah. And when there's weather, you can imagine, like, imagine your phone is like a survey ship and your cameras are the sonars. And, like, when you're doing this all the time, sometimes <laughs> you get <laughs> can't, really audio podcast, <laughs> but. The
1: audience can't see, but imagine a boat with a camera pwned down. I am
2: holding my phone and I am, Flat. like, gimbling. I am, like, shaking it. Oh, now we're like, using
1: fancy nautical terms.
2: That's oh, <laughs> drone. That's, like, drone world. Come on. That's, like, that's, that's got to appeal to somebody audience there but yeah. like and so like yeah you get that data and sometimes you don't know it until far after the fact you got to process it all so you got to imagine you got to basically take out the effect of that movement of right. the sensor to try and ult- Which is probably
0: highly irregular and unpredictable right like it's not something it's, you can develop a general well, yeah like an ai for to oh, denoise in effect right
2: <laughs> you can theoretically Try to, but like this is how the world does it today. So there is ways to do this, and you do get good quality data. Like I don't wanna denounce that this is not Mm. gonna actually render good data. One of the benefits of that is you have GPS. Now, all that being said, when you have an entire system, not just the technology and the companies and this like arduous process that you gotta go through to get this very critical piece of data. I hate to use the word bedrock, but like it is a bedrock of many industrial industries, like geophysical data. If you want to do anything on that involves the seafloor, like you literally need to know what the seafloor looks like, what the sediment is. You need to know if there's like large rocks, are there bombs there? There's all sorts of junk on the bottom of the seafloor. And so like, if you don't know that you can't make quick progress. When you look at the United States And their renewable energy goals, it's highly reliant on 2,000 offshore wind turbines being installed in U.S. EEZ waters. And like when you look at the amount of surveying that needs to happen to make that possible, there are real concerns about is surveying going to be a large, if not inhibiting, bottleneck to being able to even do that. Even if we solve all the supply chain issues, which like that's Mm -hmm. all another issue. So yeah, the primary sort of consumers right now of the data we're collecting are renewable energy companies. That can go a long way for us for quite some time.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned other types of use cases on the website, right? But it seems like your basic thesis is this is all we need to address right now. And all these other things are kind of like... yeah not blue sky opportunities, but like things that could develop into more meaningful businesses later on. Yeah,
2: I mean, this is a market that is exploding at this exact moment in time right now. But the idea of sequestered carbon storage at scale, right? we have to put, you know, like gigatons of liquid CO2 or solid CO2 somewhere Mm -hmm. at like a scale that, you know, you got to think about like how much carbon we pulled out of the ground for better or worse. We got to put it back somewhere. Yeah, Putting Mm -hmm. it into the ground is one, carbon lakes in the bottom of the seafloor is another solution. All of this is going to require the concept of monitoring. Yeah. What I find interesting is we allow these like multi-trillion dollar industries to sort of exist on the seafloor and they're the ones collecting data to monitor their own activities. And then they ultimately submit that data, right? So it's like, okay, there needs to be a concept, an organization, a something that is third party, that is like their sole directive is just monitoring what's going on, where there's no sort of external incentive structure for yeah, certain- there's no interest. Right, yeah, to, right. Yeah, and like, it's not saying we don't want to help these companies, but it's also saying like, we want to be able to make sure that like governments have the ability to step in. If something is right. truly screwed up or groups that care about things have access, readily access and cheap access to data. Yeah. Like, well, it's that's, a tremendous
0: resource, and you want the resource to be able to be utilized fully. If you let a few people race ahead and kind of like do their own thing and do their own regulation, then yeah. it's not going to be, it's going to ruin it later when we're like, oh, but we can do so much more, right? Ooh. Like build data centers on the ocean floor. That's something Microsoft wants to do.
2: I actually like very pro that for like a lot of right. reasons. Like that. To me, that solves a lot of the energy problems. The ocean naturally, like there's tons of hydrothermal vents all over the seafloor. Like it's a, the environment is literally meant to dissipate enormous quantities of heat and does it really, really well. And you got to be very conscious about where you're putting those heat sources in relation to where they may be already. But all being said, like that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: But like, how do you not regulate? Because you wouldn't be the regulatory body, but like you'd be the monitoring body that passes the data along to the regulatory body. And like... How do you do that when your clients are, I don't want to say they're exploiting, but there's the potential for your clients to also be exploiting the sea and the seafloor, right? Like if a wind turbine company comes to you and says like, we want to do this, give us the data, and then all of their turbines are like incredibly damaging to the ecosystem in some way, you would have that data and then you'd have to flag your own client. Like how do you do both at (laughs) once?
2: Yeah, like most problems, there's never like a tried and fast, this is like the exact easy way to do it. What we do believe and what we've seen in most other geospatial plays is that access, readily access to the same data actually aligns parties in a lot of ways. The governments are incentivized to make sure that we get to renewable power. They want that. The energy companies want this renewable source of power. Oil is a, it's a finite resource. We've clearly reached the limits of where, you know, they can't, right, for better or worse, once again, like Mm -hmm. the idea of a reoccurring revenue source, where actually they're not a chemical company, they are an energy company, where they're providing energy back to the grid is a much more attractive business model. And companies like Orsted did this like really, really well. To go a little deeper into your question there, Jordan, part of that and part of the challenge that the world has is surveys, particularly geophysical surveys are done usually in this like one off manner. So, like an energy company will go and commission a $5 million, $10 million survey. They will own the data outright and they'll use the data once to go through one process and then it'll like sit on a hard drive and like get put in a shelf. That's where it lives, it dies. And that is fundamentally screwed up because that means the cost of any square kilometer over any particular point in time is exceptionally high. It's not Mm just like the cost of that data is not distributed across lots of people. And so that's part of the reason of why, one, it costs the government tons of money to do this and it costs energy companies tons of money to do this. And you can't just like port this into other industries or other governments easily because like, once again, the cost is prohibitive and the structure around ownership is sort of broken. So what we're trying to do is shift that a little bit and say, listen, we're going to highly incentivize this energy company to take data in in a new way. In other words, Bedrock is going to take on a lot of the upfront risk. We're going to do our own surveys in partnership, hopefully, with many of the energy companies out there. And we're going to de-risk a lot of this activity for you. We're going to help you get to ROI faster, meaning you're going to be able to get data 12 to 18 months sooner than you would have before. So you can actually do a lot of the critical work that you would have done Ahead of time, or that would have taken you much longer, you can now do it faster, which means your equity investors get a quicker return on their capital. You get to construction quicker, which means you get to revenue faster, because without mm-hmm. construction, you're not generating energy and you're not sending it back to the grid. At the same time, you're providing a third-party data set that can be reprocessed in different ways for other clients, other ways. Yeah, This is a new way, the world, this is not how it works right now. Like, so just to be clear, like, this is not the way that data is used. It's reminiscent of actually a business model that was pioneered in the deep seismic exploration world called the multi-client survey model. So interestingly enough, back in the 80s and the 90s, when you had seismic surveys, which are like huge ships, they're like, literally, they have these large air guns or explosions that will send sonic booms into the crust, they will model the crust, and this is how they find or how they found oil wells back in the day. But what they realized was the cost to do these huge exploration areas was prohibitive for most companies. So why don't we split the cost? We'll have a survey company, do a huge area, and then a bunch of the other oil companies will get access to that data and they'll license it from that one company. And we want to do the exact same model here in the offshore wind industry and many other industries that rely on seafloor data broadly. And what that means is bedrock does assume a ton of upfront risk, which is, I think, critical to changing the model here. But the benefit is that we get the opportunity to license it to many more people, distributing the cost of that data, dropping the cost down on a per-client level, and further, it allows companies and governments and other people to be a little bit more on the same page about what's really right. going on.
0: Because you're all working from the same yeah numbers, right? It's like
2: exactly yes. right. So, Jordan, there's like not an easy answer. You know, there's like a lot of complexity to how these things go, and like. At the end of the day, what I found pretty amazing is like when I'm interacting with these renewable energy companies, like the amount they care about doing the right thing for the environment is astonishing. It's like built into the DNA huh. of these, even if it's a different division of an oil and gas company or right. like a renewable division of this. Oil and renewable
0: gas, division within the company. yeah,
2: People like give a shit it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. It's like, it's this cool, it's vibrant. I mean, props to everything that's happening there. And I'm not saying that that necessarily the other parts of those companies aren't, but like, it's really cool. They are really trying to do the right thing here, particularly when it comes to like marine mammals environments. And like, it's astonishing. Like I really, uh, I got to give them, yeah. I got to give them credit.
1: It would make sense. Yeah. I guess not like the earliest, right. Cause like the renewable movement has been around for a while now, but it would make sense that the people that are in those organizations are people who actually are passionate about it and care about it. Right. But like, right. yeah, there's always the I don't mean to like harp on this, but I just feel like it's something no, to think please. about long term. Right. Because like yep. capitalism taints everything. And if this is like the way it's going, particularly if the regulatory environment is like, hey, for real, no more gas and oil, no more coal. coal.
0: All those folks. We can still use coil power, though. Coil coil power is good.
2: You <laughs> just bend a spring a lot. Yeah, then,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and you release. just jump on it.
2: Yeah, that's just how you do it. It's,
1: it's kinetic.
2: I mean, now, yeah, those are the batteries of the future. You know what I mean, though,
1: right? The bad guys, the greedy yeah. guys, will come yep. in who don't give a shit about like marine life or coral or anything like that. But yeah. like, I get it. It's complex. You and know it's what I mean? That you have to think about. Like, it's, it's
2: something it's, that we've thought. It's about. a thing. Yeah, Yeah. you're totally right. It's like, it's not not a thing. So I want to be the first one to say like, it's where, but the way that you empower others is by making data more accessible. Like it's, 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 there's a step one here. In most cases, right? We don't have a baseline yet. Mm -hmm. That's concerning (laughs) um, on -hmm. a lot of levels. So like, there's a lot of activities that are going on right now in the ocean where like, we can't model change because we don't know where we're at. Right,
0: right, right, right. right. We don't even know
2: what, yeah, we don't know what day zero is. And day zero is in 2020 and like, what the fuck? There's yeah. already
0: been, you know, <laughs> immense impact, obviously. Yeah. And we just missed it all. Right. I mean, it's yeah. untold, right.
1: There's like more uplifting, fun stuff to talk about, though. So, one of the things that I wanted But
0: wait, I, I wanted to bring up because when you were talking about that, Jordan, I realized is another podcast where we just explained SAS in a different way as a thing that is. Good and works for people, and also like the constant discussion we have of build versus buy, right? Right like, when you defray the cost, it's just like everything you're talking about, too, brings up space to me because it just feels a lot like space and a lot of geospatial stuff that happened there, and they're just ahead of the curve but the same changes it seems like are in store for totally for the ocean ecosystem as well right yeah even nasa nasa was like look we want to be a client because it doesn't make sense to single fund all of these things and then have it go nowhere so like we're gonna outsource a lot of this stuff become a client they're gonna have other clients so it'll be more sustainable for everyone and it's it seems like that's <laughs> it, the approach
2: right? yeah it's a more efficient way to use capital it's better yeah, for the taxpayer it's In so many ways, it's strange to me that the focal point has been in space when you sort of look at what the markets are there, when you have like really large, really impactful industries that rely on seafloor data and like
1: well it's arguably more difficult the like math involved maybe not in like landing (laughs) a rocket right good for spacex but like
0: or launching one because we don't have to fight the gravitational pull right that should theoretically be easier but yeah
1: yeah that's what i'm saying there's like an archetype for what we do in space it's been around for like 70 years and then right now seafloor exploration like yeah we have some robots and we have some submarines but like we don't know what the fuck we're doing right
0: i believe Sequest DSV. Well, no, I blame people not appreciating always have to blame Sequest someone. DSV as much as they should have, right? Because let's say an alt, in an alternate history, a Sequest DSV somehow precedes Star Trek. I think we're there. I think then we'd be talking to Anthony. He'd be Elon. Yeah. Or, I mean, a better person, obviously. But yeah, hopefully. Essentially, <laughs> Or, Elon. like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he could <laughs> buy and sell us, like, 600 times over. But, like... Don't you think so? I mean, I always bring up Sequest DSV on this podcast. I feel <laughs> like I'm to go back and watch it. it. I was going to say, is this the other is Everyone this the Easter watched.
1: egg? Is
2: this, is this the other Easter egg? Like,
1: I, we're also brainstorming I, I, podcast ideas somehow. Like, it's just a lot has yeah, happened yeah. in the last three minutes. Yeah, I do mean, you go, Daryl.
2: So I think it's interesting when you look back at how NASA was formed and where, like, NOAA was formed. Mm. And how people and where capital was deployed. NOAA was developed under the Department of Commerce. And NASA was a standalone R&D organization that had this massive marketing budget, right? No one had marketing budget. No one, you couldn't get, that wasn't what it was about. And so I think a lot of it goes back to like the 60s. And a lot of it at the time had to do with people didn't see space as a military arena. They saw it as an exploration arena. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at particularly like the Cold War, that was a military arena. Things yeah. happened under the ocean a lot. If you've ever read like Blind Man's Bluff, it's a incredible book with a bunch of declassified things that happened in the U.S. Navy. And money was spent looking for things yeah. and trying to do stuff. But like none of this... Well, the
0: advent of submarines was like, okay, we did not understand that there was this additional dimension to this. We need to understand this in full. And right? like... And yeah, space didn't have that moment no. until now. Now space has that moment. Correct, right? that's happened
2: recently. But yeah, yeah, correct. I can't help but think, especially now, when you look at like when Charlie and I. We're starting a lot of it was this needs to be a public benefit corporation right this should not be a c-corp this needs to be a public benefit corporation and we need to be able to provide at least a medium resolution free version of this map to everyone mm-hmm. outside of the capitalistic side of things this would advance the general understanding of the ocean dramatically and that is a core fundamental thesis that we think not only is needed for the world but we also think helps us in general if you have a medium resolution and you get some sense of like oh wait what's there you're mm. going to maybe want to then purchase a higher resolution version, which helps us further explore other areas in higher resolution. That is a core concept that we thought was really, really important. We have a total misallocation of capital right now from space to ocean, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really.
0: Listen up, space investors. We know you're listening yeah. to this podcast.
2: Test. It's... <laughs> wow. Where are you at? hard to call out it's <laughs>
0: <hard.
1: Okay. laughs> well it's just i mean to be fair that's what tess has been able to do because when you say space investors one name comes to mind so good on the Tess brand. for that she's got the yeah brand. she's
0: like yeah the the boss
1: but wait hold on can we get to my fun things or no daryl do you yeah, still yeah, want to yeah. talk about no
0: I, I would love to i mean I, <laughs> we're so deep in this podcast but like i was just curious i hope this is a quick question but were you like at nautilus and you were like i see this problem
2: at nautilus and then you jumped into this or like Kind of was the transition. Yeah, there. what happened yeah. with
1: all that? This is not yeah. your first go.
2: No, this is not my first go. So we—it was funny. That's how I met my co-founders. I was trying to recruit them into Nautilus. Nautilus was building essentially ship optimization software. I think of like ways, but for ships. But instead of A to B as quickly as possible, you want to get there as efficiently as possible. Hopefully, save a bunch of fuel. Hopefully, save ship owners a bunch of money. That was the whole thesis. We were collecting a bunch of. We had a bunch of sonar data that we were collecting from the ships and we were like, hmm, I like wonder if there's something we can do with this. And it turns out mm-hmm. a lot of ships don't have the depth rating on their sonars to do things in the deep ocean, but you could theoretically start to get in. A lot of that was driven by the desire to start to try to figure out the ocean weather prediction problem. Cause it sucks. It's just mm-hmm. people have no idea where and when weather shows up on the ocean. Hurricanes just appear and then we can try mm-hmm. to predict, right? Like but before they appear, we don't know where they're going to show up or when they're going to show up or whatever, and like that has a massive implication on the P and L of any voyage. It also has a massive implication on the amount of fuel that's burned on any of these ships. And so we were like really looking for a better ocean weather prediction system, and we sort of tinkered with the idea of like, listen, we've got all this sonar data. Like maybe there's a way we can employ a meteorologist and we can use some of it to help predict weather better if you know the seafloor. We talked to MIT meteorologists and we were like, where's the big gap? Why can't we do this? And they're like, we don't know the bounding box of the seafloor. So the error bar in most of the ocean is plus or minus a kilometer. And even the biggest supercomputers in the world can't model out the energy movement in the ocean enough to be able to predict weather accurately over the ocean. So like you're kind of shit out of luck until you get to do that. Now we're getting better at it because there are companies like Sail Drone and Sofar Ocean out there that are doing really interesting things to try and move that space forward, but it's still not great. Like We still don't know anything. So I did see that there. And then ultimately, I've been thinking about this since I was a kid, Like since it was like 20,000 leagues under the sea. I'm like, this is great. This is fascinating. This was far more interesting to me than when I was a kid. I didn't have aspirations to go to Mars. Just frankly, right. I just didn't. But I did totally think about would it be cool to like figure out how what was in the ocean like yeah almost at like a childlike level this is a fascinating crazy problem i don't know why we haven't done it what you have now are a bunch of people that have these submarines where you can see 30 feet ahead of you that's not ocean exp- like it is ocean i don't want to denounce that that is ocean exploration but like teeny teeny little bits of the ocean yeah yeah we it's need like to having do a this- lighter
0: in a dark cave it's really like not much <laughs> of
2: huge huge cave yeah What we need is actually an immensely large scalable system that can basically interpret data at enormous scales Very, very quickly. That is ultimately going to be what ocean exploration is because you can't use traditional cameras or radar or lasers to do Mm. broad, huge area coverage very quickly. You have to use sonars and you have to use things like magnetometers, which makes it very challenging. Jordan, let's get to like fun. fun. Yeah, let's get to my start. Let's Let's do
1: my start. Let's
2: get some (laughs) Jordan. I think we
1: should. I think we We should. So what I wanted to talk to you about is like, because I get the unique viewpoint of being able to watch your Instagram stories and your don't worry Daryl and your <laughs> your journey as a founder like your day to day I'm sure that there's like a lot of administrative stuff that you do and a lot of typing on your computer and all of that but there's also like a lot of fun stuff right not that that's not fun but I see you like at a dock putting a fucking totally. thing in the ocean right yeah. you're hanging out and doing cool stuff very boots on the ground like playing with hardware robots etc to like figure this out and so I'm just like curious one do you feel superior to other founders and that you get to do that and two <laughs> not really that but two like, like wow what's your favorite part is it that like stuff where you're fucking around in the ocean or is there like oh some other piece of being a founder that's
2: more so like you are but i want to just clear up that the answer to your first question is no i think (laughs) anyone trying to do anything in general particularly start companies it's like this is a super hard thing i have a particular respect for hardware founders hardware is hard in general Mm -hmm. yeah so like i have a particularly soft spot for people that try and solve some of the harder problems particularly the ones that do involve deep hardware solutions what about if
0: you're making like a voice changing app though those people they suck, right? You don't feel better than them.
1: Or like a mobile game.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's An
0: ad-supported
1: mobile game.
0: Lick. Do you really like those guys? <laughs> We're just baiting you. You don't have to answer this. Seriously.
2: I was going to say, like, I'm going to just go no comment on this one. Like, wow. Like, you guys are just trying to pull it out of me. God, no. But I, my favorite part in general, I'm a builder. Like, I like building things. Mm-hmm. And I particularly love problems where there's a highly, highly technical, really tough, challenging problem mm-hmm. that is hard to communicate to the average person, where it usually involves some sort of like sleepy unknown market that's huge and usually is all akin to like an infrastructure like play. And what I like is being at the intersection of the financial challenges around that, the actual technology itself and the way you ultimately get people to adopt that. I like sitting in the middle of that Mm -hmm. triangle. So do I love working with robots? Yeah, it's like fucking awesome. When I get to be out in California at a robotics facility, it brings me I'm a mechanical engineer. It's my schooling and I've worked with boats and Love being on boats. I'm happier on the ocean. So like anytime I get to do that, yeah, it's a great day. When we're testing, it's usually like pretty high strung. There's like a lot of things that's like high stakes. We hope we don't lose the vehicle. Those are all things that are like going through my head. My co-founder is really the champion of a lot of the robotics. And like frankly, I'm not the best person to be running the robotics org. And so I like I put a lot of trust in, you know, I get to live almost vicariously through a lot of the advancements that he's making. Because of my past and where I sit, I lived in sort of the big data maritime cloud systems world. And that's a lot of where I've spent my time is making sure that when we do collect data, that that data can then be very quickly and easily and like beautifully accepted within organizations. I also really enjoy selling. Mm. I just really enjoy it. I really like, and not selling in like a sleazy salesman-like thing. Like I really enjoy feeling, okay, this is like a fundamentally better way to do it. And I know that this is going to like be a different way for you. And I know that's like, really challenging for a lot of people. But I really love trying to help them understand that the world doesn't have to be that way. The world could be this way. So I really, 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 really like that. I like building and I like selling a lot, I guess, is the the short. I would totally
1: trust you when you say you don't like selling in a sleazy way, because I know from all the experience I have with Anthony, he's like probably the most optimistic, positive human being I've ever come into contact with. What about me, Jordan? Jordan oh you're, you're, you're the opposite allowed. oh wow <laughs> you're the literal opposite daryl is like doom gloom it's all over no sense in trying and anthony's like no matter what if we sing we'll feel better you know like it's just anthony is karaoke, all good vibes all the time
2: does help a lot it helps oh, everything yeah.
1: i agree it does help and yeah so i imagine you selling and like inspiring rather than bullying yeah. i can totally see that
2: and it's not i mean bullying isn't even the right word. I'm really thankful that on the team, we've got a lot of like systems level thinkers. So like people that are able to dissect the complexities of like lots of moving parts, not just the technology side of it, not just the operational complexity of it, not just the financial challenges around it, but like the gray areas of how the world actually changes is in finding the people that in the right way to tell a story to those people And get them to understand that we're not just talking about exactly the same data a little cheaper. Mm -hmm. What we're actually talking about here in a renewable energy sense is you're going to get to be able to deploy renewable energy much faster than you would ever be able to do before. And it's not just offshore wind, like, we're super excited about the future of like tidal power. That's a right. like huge amount of moving physical stuff that we're not taking advantage of yet at scale, which again, we should be doing. Yeah. I think we will be doing, but it's easy to sell when you know it's better. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's
1: like a no-brainer, right? That's the idea of building a yeah. startup. Selling yes. your product should be a no-brainer.
0: Or otherwise, you should look at your business. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Rethinking what your product is or rethinking the price yeah. that it's sold at or whatever. Because if you're coming in and disrupting an entire industry. It shouldn't be hard to go in and be like, hey, you no. spend this much and it takes this much time and this much work. And like, here's this other option that's down on all those metrics. Like, it should be easy.
2: But to be the realist in the room, actually, now take the optimist Whoa. hat on. Though I am, mm. though I am an optimist, right? Curveball. Like, I know these energy companies, they don't change very quickly. Yeah. Right. Like, it actually is quite challenging. I don't want to sit here and say it's the easiest thing in the world. And, yep. It's going to just change. That's not actually how a lot of things happen. Right. So, Right. I do think it's a unique combination of being able to do and balance all of those different things. Yeah. Yeah. But I am a huge, you know. Yeah. Cause you're,
0: you're very passionate and like it's easy to think about the possibilities when you're describing this stuff. I get very excited when I hear you talk about it. Cause I'm like, oh my God, there's so much potential for so many things. And like it's going to be wonderful what we can do at this. Totally. But if you're thinking about that in the context of like an institution, maybe you convince the people you're in the room with but those things are built Mm -hmm. purposefully with layers against erosion Mm -hmm. right like they in many ways benefit from inertia and benefit from like bird in hand mentality Mm -hmm. of like look you're right that this thing that we do is massively expensive but we've also done it seven times and we know that it reliably will happen that way and there's seven layers of middle management designed to wear down your message of hope so that it becomes nothing by the time it hits the executive ears right
2: one of the big things that we've learned along the way all these companies are about risk reduction yeah so like that's a huge part and a huge benefit actually of how we're going to market this is a massive risk reduction you're not only going right. to save money right. right now when you commission a survey like you hope it's going to happen within 8 to 12 months that's best case you really hope that that's going to happen but along with that you've got personnel risk you got people on the ocean yeah. things go wrong you've got marine mammal risk you better like hope that ship is not heading toward a migrating fleet of whales and the protected species observer that you're required by law to have up in the yeah. up in the top like, and that's
0: not even your installation environmental assessment no. that's your it's just observation
2: just survey yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah so like you've got time risk capital risk human risk marine mammal risk you've got all these other you've got timeline risk you've got weather risk and what we're trying to do is say all that goes away if you just do it this way and by the way it's cheaper right. That's the sort of thing where, yes, there is layers of middle management that are sort of built around this thing. But like actually what we're trying to do is take something where there's a ton of risk in the activity. And sometimes you even spend all that money and all that time and you get a bad data set back. And you're like, shit. Like, damn it. And so what we're proposing is basically far ahead of time showing them that exact same data set that they would have wanted or would have gotten 12 months later and saying like, you could just license it right now.
0: Yeah. You get rid of all
2: that risk, then you get this data set.
0: And there's nothing to even prove it. It's not a trust me and I'll prove it. No. It's a No, it's here. we right. have already done we've it. We've done it. The yeah. data's
2: here. Like Here's the specs. And that's the world that we think is ultimately, that's a revolution change. And the way that we are able to do something like that was by building this huge proprietary stack of technology. Yeah. A normal survey company can't just go do this because they have to do permits, which we have a beautiful sort of, because our sonars are all above 200 kilohertz, they're not impacting marine mammals. The vehicle is 70 feet long and 100 pounds moves at two knots. If we were to like hit a whale, it's the whale's gonna do more damage.
0: The whale would just be like, yeah, It's
2: like a hey, it's like shack. It's like, like, like shack, I'm even like on, swimming <laughs> through the water, right? <laughs> you know, it's not gonna do much yeah. to an animal. We get around a lot of the permitting processes and this gives us this unique position where we get to really look at a market and fundamentally rethink the way we get to change the business model around it because of that, which hopefully, right. hopefully does quite a bit for the way that all critical infrastructure Offshore wind is just the start, right? We've yeah, talked yeah. about all these other things. Well if
0: Elon gets his offshore launch pads, he's gonna need your help. Yeah, I mean that's for sure. For Starship and
2: point to point. Interesting because yeah, I don't think he bought fixed he didn't buy fixed platforms. He bought yeah. he, he bought he did float buy floating anchored. Well means. I think yeah, it's the right. float are they floating yeah, anchored yeah. or flat? I, I gotta look before I exit.
0: Actually I don't know if they're free floating or floating anchored.
2: Yeah, I think I think he's got <laughs> where you gotta be able to well, you gotta be able to move them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of
0: course I also want to ask this is also fun can we have some underwater studios because <laughs> you were talking about being a kid and like seeing these things and that was what I remember from being a kid and I was honestly like more into that kind of stuff than I was the space stuff as well thinking back on it it always struck me as like i mean maybe because i was a pessimist but i was always like well space is fundamentally empty like i don't think there's i know what it's up there and it's not much of stuff it's gonna
2: suck to live in space for like a very long time it's gonna like be really (laughs) really bad like yeah yeah. you thought high school was bad imagine high school but like in a bubble where you can't go outside yeah yeah and i'm like i don't exactly yeah all about trying to get there it's just gonna take a while and there's going to be a very unique sure. type of person that's going to be ready for that for like a long period of time, is my yeah. opinion.
0: If I could buy a condo underwater and my window is like yeah. Oceanscape, oh, I'm all about I, it. I'm all about it. So just tell me that's good. Yeah, of- I mean,
2: I, I <laughs> you know, I think a lot of it's going to rely on like understanding the geophysical risk. Think of it literally like property. Yes. A lot yes. of it's going to rely on the geophysical risk of any given area. And then if we can build an international space station, we have already had sea labs. This has happened true, already. right. We are just beginning what I believe is a complete transformation in many, many major fundamental industries that, you know, in a way that we're sort of calling like a blue centric economy. And so like real estate and living might be a part of that. Energy yeah. should be a part of that data centers and Internet's already Internet's up. potentially manufacturing. Who knows? There's all kinds of stuff that could work. Better. Uh, I, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. In that that's context, correct. depending right? when you look at like the growth of the blockchain space and how much energy you need to do that. Like we got to find more efficient ways to do this. Like this thing doesn't scale super nicely. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you look at that and then you think about the hardware that's needed and the infrastructure, it actually makes a lot more sense to do this on the bottom of the seafloor when you have a natural cooling environment. Some things right. it turns out are probably going to be better at pressure and depth. For example, keeping yeah, yeah. carbon dioxide a liquid and not a gas. You have to keep it cold temperatures and high pressures. There is a place on earth where that happens naturally, where you don't have to spend naturally, energy yeah. to keep it in a liquid form. So how we do that environmentally, I think we'll all rely on good maps, good monitoring, all of that has to exist. But are there going to be cities like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, like, I yes. don't see why not. Funny, Like, right. what I found quite interesting is when you go to build a wind farm, there's actually an archaeological review process. You have to prove that humans didn't live on the shelf at a previous time in history. And I did not know this until we started looking at this. And like, so for example, there is evidence of ancient riverbeds in a time on earth when there was less water and there is more ice on the caps. So you have to imagine now the ocean is, you know, you look at the continental shelf, right? So you got land and then it goes down a little bit and then it's like continental shelf for like quite a bit. If there was significant, Mm -hmm. if there was 50 meters, the ocean was 50 meters lower, that would have been land. And so there is huh. this is a budding new area of exploration and science right now. But like people or maybe could have lived there. This idea of right. like Atlantis, you know, it's not actually it's not that far fetched. In fact, it's actually like right. maybe. No one can tell you that it really doesn't exist. No one can tell you that it also does exist, largely because well, we don't have the data sets. Maybe one day we don't have the data sets, right? Like so yeah, who knows? Right? Like these are all Things that sound.
1: That'd be a big far. press push for you guys. You're like, we found a city under the. Yeah, ocean. find Atlantis,
2: and then
0: you can just put that as like a great <laughs> press release. There, up at yeah. the yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we found Atlantis. Call us for more info. <laughs> <Yeah. I'll sure> <laughs> info. <laughs> hey,
2: listen, like PR is a, a weird world, right? So, like, I don't know. No. So we lo- we think it's great. Yeah, Jordan, what's more fun stuff that you've got? I
0: mean, <laughs> I think we're we are have. Out of yeah, we have no more time,
1: Daryl cap subsidized me no that's yeah not
0: the, i subsidized you yeah no but i love talking to you i unfortunately have to go have a much less fun i have meeting, to be there too. the real reason unfortunately I actually fun. I, I
2: didn't even realize we were at time so now this was a really fun combo guys Yeah,
0: it was great all right jordan that was our chat with anthony who it was revealed is a friend of yours
1: yeah, big
0: reveal. Juicy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Well, it was good to catch up with Anthony on the friend side. And then on like the professional podcast side, mm. I do think it's really interesting how big of a thing this is to tackle when he was describing like the cost and time yeah. to do what he's doing or even like not as good as what Bedrock does even is like insane. And then understanding the need these offshore wind farms are one thing but you could see how there would be needs elsewhere it's a huge problem to tackle and then on top of it like think about how tough it is to build an autonomous vehicle and then be like oh by the way it's going to the bottom of the ocean like i mean it's just kind of enormous in terms of the problem but i also and we got hung up on this a little bit in the middle of the Podcast, but like, I just feel like this could be used for evil too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely could. And we did talk a little bit about it. I think the argument that Anthony makes in the other direction is the one that a lot of technologists make generally, which is look, eventually someone is going to make this technology available affordably at scale. It's better if it's someone who has in mind the possible pitfalls and misuses of it than if it's, like, someone who is exclusively intent on using it for those purposes, right? It's kind of like... It comes up around nuclear technology. It comes up around essentially every major like right. groundbreaking technology, AI or like deep fakes. Right, deep fakes is a big one because it's like, should we even do this? And then it's people are like, look, we have to do it because we have to figure out ways to counter it because nefarious actors are going to do it regardless, right? And they're going to do what they want to do with
1: it. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like sure, people will build this technology and people will always be trying to exploit things. But he was like talking about how his clients—he talking about both being like a third party monitor and also having clients that would need monitoring and like that's the piece where he's like it's pretty nuanced and it's like well but like
0: i think he's more talking about being a data set provider to a third party who would be the monitor which is maybe a difference in degree only or whatever but it could be it could be a key difference right especially if other people come to the market and try to do what Bedrock is doing and then provide comparable data sets. And then you have a third party who like oversees all of them. That would be like the ideal situation. That would be.
1: Yeah, that that helps, I think. That soothes me.
0: Now you can sleep. Mm -hmm. In my
1: underwater city. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's such a, he's a very like dynamic person. The energy around what he's doing comes across. We talked a bit about that too, like how good he is at effectively being a salesperson because he like just believes so wholeheartedly in what he's doing. But the thing that I thought was, interesting about the autonomous technology the approach like you talked about is like it is very 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 hard and i think we only kind of touched on that like a little bit because i think he kept trying to bring it up and we would kind of like go like yeah yeah, yeah we know it's hard and then move on but like he talked about it compared to autonomous ground vehicle technology right that's a totally different thing and you can't just take everything from cars and self-driving cars mm-hmm. and port it over to self-driving subs self-swimming subs i don't know what to <laughs> What still
1: swimming sure <laughs> yeah i like it
0: yeah because lasers don't work underwater in the same way because of like light refraction right and like totally
1: i'm optical on the same cameras page. don't
0: work totally. yeah radar yeah it works but it doesn't work in the same way so totally you, ha- you have to like modify all these and then use sonar and yeah yeah you know
1: totally science science <laughs> i get it i'm with you it's like the funny thing is I do get what you're saying, but like also yeah. when you say it, I'm just like, what are you talking about over there? <laughs> Captain Ahab? Yeah, I mean, I could totally see Anthony, and we talked about this a little bit, being like a great salesperson. And he's just got mm-hmm. so much charisma and like also optimism. I think that's pretty common characteristic among founders. Like you can't just like a president has to be An egotist or a narcissist, like a founder, pretty much has to be an optimist. And it's like the Uh, ones who have the right amount of pragmatism layered into their sickening optimism that tend to be successful. And I could see Anthony having that right mix.
0: Right. Yeah. We've not yet spoken to a sort of defeatist founder which i think would be a super fun experience i mean we could could found a
1: company and then we could talk to ourselves we're pretty defeatist
0: (sighs) it wouldn't last very long i think so the window for like
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's over before it started we're never gonna make it
0: well this is gonna (laughs) shut down why don't we just go ahead and shut it down (laughs) (laughs) sorry users (laughs) No, but he is. Yeah, He, I do think he has that pragmatist aspect of it. It's cool that he wants to get out there and like look at the stuff, even though that's not the side of the business he's on, but he's out there involved in that. Right. So he's on the boats like that would be a very good way to just kind of like bring home how real all the challenges are, because there's just a bunch of actual physical, natural challenges that you encounter. Right. right?
1: Yeah. It could be stormy that day. Right. Yeah. Or like yeah. something weird happening. Or you could lose a vehicle, like you talked about that, and that was something I never even thought about. But like, you work forever on this prototype, and then it's just like in the ocean for good. Yeah, you can't get it back. Yeah. So I think, no. I mean, it There's goes a lot to of money. Sh- that's the combination, the though, right? You're an optimist enough to try to get into this market to begin with, and be like, I can map the ocean floor. It's just seventy percent of our planet. Right, no big deal, right? And then also the piece where you're like, because you're tackling such a hard thing, you constantly gotta face pragmatism you can't avoid it right because the reality is that it's fucking hard big
0: yeah especially and he brought this up too when your clients are primarily very risk averse very like stodgy risk averse large institutions right like you can't help but address the pragmatic side right yeah yeah well it's very cool i can't wait to see what more they do it was cool that we recorded this during a week when they actually discovered like a big ship Underwater? Under like from, the
1: sea ice or something crazy.
0: Yeah, from an Antarctic expedition. It wasn't, to be clear, bedrock, but like but someone did. that could happen. Oh, yeah. Who knows what they could find down there? They could Maybe. find a whole civilization. Well, I think we talked about Atlantis, but it, I want them to find the Atlantis of like, it's Aquaman or whatever, or Namor if you're a Marvel fan.
1: I always think about if like the alien invasion has already happened and they are and they're underwater. Yeah, they're like deep in our ocean and they're like I, oh, I read a book about that evolving. one time
0: this is a, definitely a tangent but I read a book about that one time where the aliens were like had to be kept under very high pressure so they did leave in live in like ocean rifts or whatever because if not they would just kind of splat everywhere yeah
1: they know. needed it. that was their atmosphere yeah
0: and that's probably true that's probably a true real factual thing and you heard it here first <laughs>
1: yeah and bedrock will confirm later
0: yeah so thanks for joining us aliens are real <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor, Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch managing editor, Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.